This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au We are going to be in Psalm chapter 1 for a bit of our time this morning. We're going to be jumping a bit all over the shop, but I'm really excited about this morning's message. I want to pray for us that we would have receptive hearts to hear what God would say to us this morning. So please join me as I pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God who has not remained silent. If you had, we would know nothing about you, but you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. God, we thank you that you are a speaking God. Every other God, small g God, is silent. But you are a relational God who speaks to us. And so, Father, this morning as we sit under your word, I pray that you would help us to hear what you're saying. God, I pray for every person who's here in the room, who's watching on the live stream, that you would stir in us this morning a hunger to know you more through your word. God, we pray that you would speak now. We ask this in Jesus' strong name. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, in um, 2016, 17, I think it was, we did a church-wide survey called the National Church Life Survey. Remember that time we all sat down for 10 minutes in church and filled out this extraordinary long survey. It was very, very helpful. We are going to do it again. But one of the Um, the things that we found out from the results of that survey was that about 70% of our church, this was obviously 2016, so there's a whole new church here today, but uh, 70% of our church read the Bible daily or at least a few times a week, which which is awesome, right? That is a really, really strong number. That Bible reading is just one of the metrics that we might say generates health in the life of a follower of Jesus, right? To have 70% of our church family says, yes, I read the Bible every day or at least a few times a week is incredible. When you consider that in 2008, the average Aussie Christian read the Bible, uh, you know, a few times a week, we're talking about 21% daily, 14% a few times a week. So 35% of, of Aussie Christians said that they were reading the Bible at least a few times a week. Uh, It's interesting seeing these statistics. Um, Have a guess which denomination was the denomination that read their Bible the most. You don't have to say it out loud, but just in your head, you know, not that it's a competition, right? Absolutely not. But the denomination that read their Bible the most were the Pentecostals. Quickly followed, yeah, woo, the Pentecostals in the room. Yeah, of course we did. Quickly followed by the Baptists. So any of you ex-Baptists in the room read their Bibles more than most other Christians. Now, this data was um, released about 14 years ago. And the Bible Society who commissioned some of this work and did some research into this work said that the reason that they saw a pretty rapid decline in Scripture engagement and the decline was obviously over time, but the decline they also noticed between generations. So the older you got, the more committed people were to rhythms that fed their faith. The younger you got, the less. And they put that down to busyness. Now you remember the iPhone was launched in 2007, July 2007. This research came out in, 20, in 08. And a lot has happened in the last 14 years with our devices. You add 
just distraction to the busyness that we've all felt. And it's no surprise that our hunger for and spending time with the Word of God has decreased. But as we think about what it looks like to follow Jesus, to apprentice Jesus, to learn to love and to live like Him, we cannot do that. Obviously, yeah, don't forget last week, this is all about the work of the Spirit in our lives, but we cannot do that without deeply drinking of the Scriptures, without having our lives saturated and soaked in the Word of God. So as we come to think about this topic of Scripture meditation this morning, I want to ask a question, what it would have been like for Jesus. Because remember, we're not just thinking about Jesus' teaching, we're thinking about the way that Jesus lived His life, His lifestyle. So what would, it, what would it have been like for Jesus in the first century to engage with the Word of God? Did Jesus do a year in the Bible reading plan? Did He have a daily quiet time? We don't really know. But we do know that He didn't have version installed on His smartphone And uh, he didn't have reminders that he could set on his phone to remind him to read his Bible at certain points of the week. In fact, Jesus didn't even own a personal copy of the Bible. Actually, the New Testament wasn't even written when Jesus, like literally, it is being written as he lives his life. So what was it like for Jesus to engage with the scriptures in the first century? Well, first century culture was what is called an oral culture, oral tradition, that is stories and in fact really, really large chunks of narrative were memorized, committed to memory and passed on from generation to generation orally through word of mouth. There were a few people who could read in the first century, but vast majority of people were actually illiterate. They could not read for themselves. You add to that literature was very, very expensive. In order to have a scroll, uh, you would have had to have rolled out some papyri or some leather or whatever other material that you chose to use and have a scribe who would write it because most people couldn't write. It was a very, very expensive undertaking to own a piece of written literature in the first century. And so Hebrew formation, which Jesus grew up with, Hebrew formation focused from a very, very young age on memorizing very large chunks of Scripture. Now, it's said that for young Hebrew boys and girls, by age 10, they would have memorized, committed to memory from heart, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. Yes, that includes Leviticus and Numbers, right? Most of us, we can't even read through the entirety of Leviticus and Numbers. And yet, by age 10, most Hebrew boys and girls had committed to memory, word for word, the entire Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the law. Jesus was no exception. Sorry, in the first century, the rabbis... They had all of these really cool memory techniques that they would use to engage children in memorizing things. This was a part of the formation that Jesus would have grown up with. So he was no exception. He learnt. He grew in his understanding of the unfolding story of God. It's not like Jesus' divine nature simply overrode the process of learning for him. He learnt. He grew. In Luke chapter 2, we, we have this like really hilarious and kind of cute narrative where 
Jesus' family travels into Jerusalem to uh, attend one of the, the festivals that they would have traveled probably multiple times a year back to Jerusalem, back to the temple for worship. And they traveled with a whole convoy of people and they celebrate the festival. They head home and on their way home, they realize we left Jesus behind. Isn't that funny to think that Mary and Joseph forgot one of their children. They left him at the temple. They go back and they find Jesus sitting amongst the teachers of the law and the scribes, questioning them, hungry to learn. And then at the end of this little narrative, Luke chapter 2 verse 52 says this, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. His, his understanding of the story of God evolved and progressed and grew over time as he what? As he memorized the Torah, as he committed to memory parts of the scripture, as he sat in synagogue and listened to the teachings of the rabbis, Jesus grew in his understanding of the narrative and story of God. It developed over time. And clearly what we see here from this passage is that Jesus was hungry to learn because he didn't care where his family was. He wanted to be in the house of the Lord learning about the Word of God. He is hungry and that hunger, that desire to, to nourish his faith with the Word of God has led many of the teachers to marvel at the wisdom of such a young boy. Such was Jesus' hunger for the Word of God. Now we know that Jesus was able to draw upon Scripture that He had committed to memory throughout His life. Last week we spent a bit of time in Luke chapter 3 and 4 and I hope you went home and, and read that story because that, that's the commissioning that we see to full-time ministry for Jesus. The Spirit of God comes upon him, empowers him, leads him into the wilderness. And we see in that encounter with the devil and Jesus that Jesus is, is able to withstand the temptations of the enemy by what? By quoting Scripture to him. Because he has imprinted God's Word on his heart. Psalm 119, I've hidden your Word on my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus is able to draw upon a wealth of scriptural knowledge that he has imprinted on his heart to use to continue to walk in God's ways. Now, we know that Jesus could read. Someone clearly taught him how to read. Perhaps it was Mary or perhaps it was his local synagogue where he, he attended. But someone had clearly bothered to teach Jesus how to read. He could read. We know that he stood up in the synagogue and read from the scroll of Isaiah. He's able to read, but he draws upon Scripture that he is committed to heart. And if we are to apprentice ourselves to Jesus, follow Jesus, walk in the way that Jesus walked and lived like Jesus, then we need, like he did, and if not more so, to put down deep roots into God's Word. And so this morning I want to give you a picture of what this looks like from Psalm chapter 1, that passage that Esther read for us this morning. Psalm chapter 1 gives us a contrast between two ways of living, between two lifestyles, two different paths to live on. 
Psalm chapter 1 gives us this beautiful picture of the person whose life is blessed. Have a look at what it says. Psalm 1 verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. You'll notice here that there is a pattern of progressive stillness, right? Blessed is the one who does not walk or stand or sit. Blessed is the one who does not get comfortable and still in the ways of this world. Walking is about taking advice from and standing is about following that advice and then sitting most teaching in the ancient cultures happened while you sat. Sitting is about delivering that advice to other people. And the psalmist says, do not get comfortable with this. Walking in step with the wicked or walking in the counsel of the wicked is about a pattern of thinking. Standing in the way of sinners is about a pattern of behavior. And sitting in the seat of scoffers or of mockers is about a pattern of identification and belonging. A pattern of progressive stillness and comfort with the ways that are against God. And the psalmist says, blessed is the one who does not do that. Blessed is the one whose walk is different. They don't think and behave and identify in these ways. Now, Paul says a very similar thing. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good character. Now, that's Paul's way of saying the same thing. You know the difference between a, a thermometer and a thermostat? Like a thermometer is what you use to tell your surrounding ambient temperature with. It takes its cues from the environment around it, right? The mercury inside the thermometer is impacted by the the temperature of the environment around it. And so if it's really hot, the thermometer will get hot. If it's really cold, the thermometer will get cold. A thermostat, on the other hand, is very different. A thermostat does not take its cues from the environment around it. It sets the temperature of the environment that it is in. It regulates the temperature. And what the psalmist is saying here is don't live your life like a thermostat uh, sorry, like a thermometer impacted by the ways of the wicked. Instead, live your life like a thermostat where the Word of God allows you to regulate and set the tone of the environment around you. And so the question is, who are we listening to? What are we surrounding ourselves with? What company do we find ourselves in? Be that physical people or the narratives that our culture is offering us today? How do we check our circle of influence in our lives? Because the reality is we are all being shaped. Every single one of you, whether you identify as a Christian or an atheist or an agnostic or somewhere in between on that spectrum, I don't know if there is any other landing points on that spectrum, but wherever you identify with on that spectrum, you are being formed. You are either being formed unintentionally or intentionally. And the psalmist is saying that the blessed happy, fortunate one is one who allows the Word of God to shape them and form them and make them into the image of Christ, form them on the way of Jesus. And the psalmist says that this process happens as we do two things. 
as we delight in God's word and as we meditate on it. As we delight in God's word and as we meditate on it. Come back to verse 2. Blessed is the one who does not walk or stand or sit, but rather blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, when you hear the word law, we have this like allergic reaction to law because we're so grace orientated, right? Don't think list of rules here. This is God's planned purpose for human flourishing, right? I love the way that Eugene Peterson says it. He says, these are God's proven instructions for living, for the blessed life, for the happy life, for for the way that leads to human flourishing, right? God's proven instructions. And in His way, the blessed or happy person delights. They find joy. They find satisfaction. You'll hear the psalmist say the same thing over and over again. Psalm 19 verse 10. They, that is the laws of the Lord, are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey. I had honey drizzled on my natural yogurt this morning on my muesli, right? They're so sweet and delicious. But the psalmist is saying that the word of God is sweeter to his taste buds, his spiritual taste buds than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Does it get any sweeter than fresh honey from the comb? Or Psalm 119, verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes. As one rejoices in great riches and wealth, I meditate on your precepts. I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees and I will not neglect your word. The blessed person, the person who lives the good life in the way of Jesus is the person who delights in and yearns for and loves the word of God. Who delights in God's word. But here's the reality. I think for many of us, we think it's boring. At least our culture tells us that this book is entirely irrelevant, if not harmful for your life. Church, this book is our life. This book is the word of God to us. It is our sustenance. It is our life. And we delight in this word. It nourishes us. It feeds our faith. And in this word, we delight. We find joy. Because as we come to the pages of Scripture, we meet Jesus. We encounter Jesus. And He speaks to us by His Spirit. Now naturally, when you delight in something it increases your engagement, right? If you love to watch football, and thank goodness the footy's coming back real soon. If you love to watch football, what do you do? You don't just watch the footy on Friday night. You get the NRL app and you download it and you read all the articles and then you, you know, join a tipping contest and you're just invested in it, right? Delight leads to engagement. And the psalmist here delights in the Word of God so much, he doesn't just read it, He meditates on it. He chews on it. Verse 2, Blessed is the one who meditates on His Word day and 
night. Now, he doesn't mean 24-7, right? Every day, all day, all night, all that you are doing is that you are meditating on the Word of God. Like you're trying to talk to a colleague at work, but inside it's like internally, it's like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, mm-hmm. that he gave his one and only son. Like that's not what he's saying, right? 24-7 means probably morning and evening. You, you cap your day with the voice of God. As you wake up in the morning, God's voice is the voice you listen to, not your internal dialogue, not your social media feed, not the criticism of your boss at work. You listen to the voice of God. And then as you finish your day, the voice that you are listening to is the voice of God. Day and night, morning and evening, he meditates on God's word. Now, when we hear that word meditate, I don't know what comes to mind for you when you hear the word meditate. For many of us, we have um, a more Eastern understanding of what meditation is, right? So you meditate and the point of it is that you would empty your mind. Right? Christian meditation is the exact opposite of that. Christian meditation is actually about filling your mind with the truth of God. Now, don't get me, there's nothing wrong with mindfulness and, uh, and controlling your breathing and all of those sorts of things. Nothing wrong with those things. But Christian meditation, what the psalmist is talking about here is about chewing over the Word of God. Right? Like a piece of chewing gum or even you know, like a, a fatty bit of steak that you've just got to really chew hard on to get down, right? To mull over it, to chew it over and over again. That is what meditation means. To repeat it, to work it out in your life. This is not just simply, I've read my Bible reading plan for this morning, tick, I'm done and move on, right? This is about going deep and understanding God's Word. Psalm 1 acts as the introduction, both, both Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, as the introduction to the entire Psalter, the, the, the whole 150, 150, 150 books of the Psalms. And what Psalm 1 does is it tells us, this is how you read this book of poetry. This is how you read and, um, and understand what to do with this Word from God. You read it by meditating, you read slowly and contemplatively and you listen and you mull it over and you let it seep deep into your soul so that the Spirit of God can change you. Now, I think at the very least, when we are simply just reading, that is a good thing, right? Because just even the act of reading without thinking about it or without writing it out or without meditating on it, Even that act in and of itself is good for us. But I want us to think about what it looks like for us not just to read our Bibles, but to meditate on it, to go deeper on it. There's a number of ways that you can do this. But the way that I have personally found more helpful than anything else is probably designed in the 1980s when everything Christian was really, really cheesy and of course, it's an acronym because we, like, we have PhDs in acronism, acronyms as Christians. But the acronym is this, SOAP. Yes, I know. So, how cheesy, yes. But SOAP is the acronym and it stands for this. Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. And what I do as often as I can, and it's become increasingly difficult, the more children we've added to our family and the earlier that they wake up in the morning, but... My, um, my best habit is when I sit down and I read a passage of Scripture and I work through my SOAP acronym. So SOAP, I will find a Scripture that stands out to me. This week I was reading, 
I've been, been camped out in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I was reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and this verse jumped out at me and so I wrote it down. But it says that we are confident, such confidence that we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to offer anything from ourselves, but we are confident because of God. And that verse jumped out at me. And so I wrote that verse down and I began to write down a bunch of observations about that verse. What does it mean? What are the verses around it saying? How can I understand this verse? And and I, I don't just want to leave it at that level of comprehension. I want that to hit my heart and then affect my life. And so I wrote down some things. What, what does it look like for me to live this word out? Well, practically, it looks like not losing my confidence in what has been a difficult season of ministry for the last two years because my competence, my sufficiency is not in my strength to endure a difficult season, but in the strength that God supplies me. And so I was speaking to my soul, saying things like, don't be anxious. Right? You need to stand in the confidence, not of your own giftedness, but on the confidence that the competence that God gives you, the sufficiency that God supplies. And then I turned that into a prayer. And that for me is my process of allowing the Word of God to go from here down to my heart and into my life. And I've committed that verse to memory over the last week or so because I need to remind myself of that on the days where it feels stressful, on the days where I look at my to-do list and think, I can't get all of this done. I'm reminding myself of this truth. That is scripture meditation. That is allowing the Word of God to shape the way that we think, the way that we respond to situations and moments that come up in our lives. It It is allowing the Word of God to go deep. Now, that's just one method. There are countless other methods that you could choose to do to allow God's Word to shape you and bring life to your everyday. But that's the way that I have found most helpful. And honestly, I've been using that method for the best part of the last 15 years, and I'm still not bored of it. Now, occasionally, I just need to change it up a bit to you know, have a bit of variety. But for the most part, that's my go-to. That's my default. When, I, when I'm finding it difficult, I know I can just run back to this habit that I've built over the last 15 years of allowing God's Word to nourish my faith. And I would commend whatever method that you have to not just reading God's Word, although that's brilliant. If we're going to start there, if there's no reading, let's just start with reading, but to reading and then meditating on the Word of God. Because the result of that is this. Have a look at Psalm 1 verse 3. That person, the blessed person who does not walk in the ways of the wicked, but delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. I love that picture. What a beautiful picture from someone. Whatever they do prospers. The point of the picture is this, that the person who has put down deep roots into the Word of God, nourishes their faith and endures through seasons of difficulty and hardship. Now you notice three things about this picture here that the psalmist gives us. The first is, the tree is planted. Did you see that there? Verse 3, the person is like a tree planted 
by streams of water. This was intentionally placed in a position to ensure that this tree received the best nutrients and nourishment that it could get because it was placed intentionally by a water source. Right? And what I want to say to you guys is that we simply don't accidentally fall into the habit of drinking deeply of the Scriptures and having that nourish our faith. It requires effort. It requires intentionality. I remember saying to a, a, an older, wiser Christian, when I was a very young Christian, they said to me, oh, how's your, how are your quiet times going? Does anyone still do a quiet time? Is it, no shame there. I still do a quiet time, old-fashioned quiet time. He said, how's your quiet time going? I was like, oh, you know, I'm kind of, I can't, it's just, I'm finding it hard to find the time. And he looked at me dead serious. He said, brother, you don't, you don't, make, you don't find the time, you make the time. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm going to make the time, to, you know. It requires intentionality. We do not default and fall into the rhythm and habit of spiritual disciplines. The tree is intentionally planted. And, and if anything, we want to say that time is our excuse. But if you're like me, your weekly screen time report that for me happens to pop up on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., so convicting as I'm getting up to preach, I should change the time when it sends me that report. That is a weekly reminder that in fact, I do have time. I do have time. I just need to make the time for what matters most. The second thing about this tree is that it's fruitful. Did you notice that? It bears fruit because it is well watered. Now we cannot expect to live fruitful, flourishing Christian lives and cut ourselves off from the source of life. Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me will bear much fruit if you abide in me. Right? We cannot expect to live flourishing lives, have our faith nourished and endure hardships with, when we sever the source of life from our world. Thirdly, you'll notice here that the tree endures dry spells. It doesn't matter if there's no rain. It doesn't matter if there is an extended drought because this tree has a constant source of water. How will we endure a season of testing? How will we get through this extended uncertainty of COVID? How will we get through a a relationship breakdown? How will we get through a disappointment in a relationship? How will we get through being fired from work? How will we get through a family dysfunction if we are not intentionally planted by the source of life? It's as we put down deep roots into the living water that that nourishes our soul and allows us to endure a season of difficulty. If we want to learn to love and live like Jesus, we have to be people like the tree in Psalm 1, planted by streams of water. We have to be people who would delight in this word and meditate on it and allow this word to nourish and feed our souls and allow this word to bring life to us and allow this word to counterform us to the ways that our culture is shaping us and forming us. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, the Word of God, right? the, the, the Scriptures, they are God-breathed. They've rolled off the tongue of God. They've come from His breath, from His lungs, and they are profitable 
for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is God's word. It's his word to us and it equips us to live God's way. Or Romans chapter 12, verse one and two says, do not conform to the ways of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Be transformed. Let the scriptures shape the way that you think and see the world and transform our lives. This, this is our book. We are a people of the word. And it is as we meditate on scripture that we will allow the truths of this book to shape us and that we would learn to discern the will of God and walk in the way of Jesus. Lives that look like Jesus and sound like Jesus and love like Jesus. If you ever wondered how you form a lifestyle like that, it begins with a discipline. It begins with a practice. And whatever that practice is for you, perhaps it's soap, maybe it's signing up to a Bible plan on you version, whatever it looks like. But as that practice, as that discipline begins to form a habit in our lives, that we repeat over and over again, that habit then becomes a lifestyle. It's as simple as that. A discipline that becomes a habit, that becomes a way of living. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, um, my family lived in the Hills District and we, we, we lived on a bit of a steep hill down the bottom of a hill. And in order to get TV reception, we had to you know those old bunny ears television antennas, we had to kind of point them in a really specific direction because there was a power station on top of the hill right through where we needed to get our reception. And, and you had to very finely, you know, bend the ears and point them in order to tune in so that you could get the channel that you wanted to watch. And sometimes to get another channel, you had to kind of twist it in a different direction. And it kind of strikes me like this. We Part of our faith is figuring out what it looks like to tune our ears to the messages that God is saying to us because I promise you, God is speaking to us more than we give Him credit for. God is speaking to us all the time, primarily through this book, but also through people, also through circumstances. He is screaming at us and our responsibility is to tune our lives to the Word of God, to listen to allow His voice to be the voice that guides and leads us. I want to close by sharing a story of a friend of mine, Vuti, who I met in Bible college. He was um, li like literally next door to me in the men's dormitory at uh, Sydney Missionary Bible College where I studied. And he was a Cambodian student who came to study a Master's of Theology. And he... English was his second language and he was learning Hebrew and Greek in English in his second language. So he's learning a third language in his second language. And he, he is now, I actually think he's now the, one of the leading lecturers or principal at Phnom Penh Bible College in Cambodia. And I remember sitting one day listening to Vuti's testimony. He was a street kid who grew up in the gangs in Phnom Penh and someone had given him a Bible one day. And he, he took this Bible and he realized, he's like, oh my goodness, this book, the pages of this book, they're so thin. They make perfect paper to roll tobacco and smoke. And so Vuti got the Bible that he had been given and he tore the pages out and he rolled tobacco in it and he smoked 
His way through the entire Bible. He got to his, um, his very last page and he thought to himself, I need more rolling paper. I'm not going to go to the tobacconist and buy it. I need to find another book. And so he read the very last page that he had left in his Bible. And he realized that this book was about the person of Jesus. And so he went to church and he said, could I please have another Bible? And they gave him a Bible. And this time, Vuti did something different. Instead of just ripping the pages out and smoking them, he probably still smoked them, but he read them before he did that. And slowly, over a period of time, this book began to transform his life. So much so that Vudi gave his life to Jesus, became a follower of Jesus, started to live in the way of Jesus, and then moved to Sydney to study the Bible so that he could teach other people about Jesus. And Vudi's testimony, at the end of it, he said, you know, I used to have the Word of God on my lungs, but now I have the Word of God in my heart. And it's such a beautiful story of how this book radically changes and transforms our lives. Church, may we be a people who love this book, whose lives are saturated with this book so that we could say along with Woody, this book is in my heart. I live by this. That's what it looks like to walk in the way of Jesus. Church, let me pray for us that that would be true of every single person here this morning in the room and online. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you speak. God, you are speaking to us way more than we give credit for. And so often the antenna of our spiritual lives is off. It's distracted. The signal is interrupted. And so I pray that you would help us to be a people who would listen what, to what you are saying a people of the book, drinking deeply of the rich resources that you give us in your word, nourishing our faith, enduring hardships. God, we want to be people who would live lives that look and love like Jesus. So help us meditate on your word. Strengthen our faith through it and help us to be like a tree a tree planted by streams of water, enduring and flourishing. We pray this in Jesus' strong name and everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen, Amen church.